0: Good morning, welcome everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church, beginning a new message series entitled Man on a Mission in the Overflow. Welcome to you all. All of our friends in Perry, Oklahoma, welcome to you. We sort of got a man cave feeling going on the stage here for the next few weeks just to help the guys settle in. Uh, This is a UK blanket thrown in here. It may ruin worship for some of you. Uh, Others of you have never felt closer to God, I understand. But actually, uh, this is a Snuggie. Uh, do men do snuggies? Is is that a manly thing? I think it came from Rod's house. Is this Rod Ellis's uh, snuggie? Uh, how many men actually is, is is are snuggies man things? Yeah. Okay, we'll work on that for next week. Uh, we'll work on that. Rod can have his snuggie back. Uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter fifteen. Next few weeks, I want to talk to men, I want to talk for men, Uh, I want to talk about the gospel and how it affects men. Women, uh, you're going to love this, even though I'm not really speaking uh, exactly to you. Uh, Truth for one is always truth for all, but I really want to try to speak into men's hearts for the next few weeks and ask you to join me in that. Uh, Luke chapter 15 beginning verse 11, is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture, and I just want you to notice that it's a man's story. It is a man's story. There are no women in this story whatsoever. I know toward the end, the elder brother mentions prostitutes, but uh, there are We really don't know that there weren't any prostitutes in the story. He may just be telling us what he would have done if he'd have run away. You understand? So we really don't know anything about prostitutes. All we know is the story told between this father and this son, and it is a story told by Jesus. So, uh, brothers, listen to the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 15, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them another story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I say it's a, it's a man's story, and, and I insist that it is. The story Jesus told right before this one was more of a woman's story, if you notice. But this one is a story that everybody can understand. And, and again, I remind you what's true for one, is true for all. But, but at the same time, this is a story that I think men get. Men understand what it is to be sons and fathers. I think men understand what it is to want to hit the road. Notice, among other things, this is a story about a man who hits the road. It's just something in our heart, and I can't explain it very well, but I think, guys, I think you understand it. I think we get it. I think we understand it. We've been trying to tell the world about ourselves for a long, long time. If you listen to the songs men sing, they're always telling you, we're always telling you that this is in our heart. And we don't always know what to do about it, but there's just that part of us that that wants to run away, that part of us that, that will wander. One of the least reliable theologians of this century is Leonard Skinner, but he was telling you back in the 70s, was he not? And and it's funny, I've been a pastor now for, for 17 years. I never really imagined that one of the most requested songs at funerals at this point in my life would be this one. If I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? know This song, but I must be traveling on now because there's too many places I Marty crying, <laughs> if I stayed here with you, girl, things just couldn't be the same because I'm as free as a bird now, and this bird you cannot change. Whoa, 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 whoa. you know, isn't it amazing? They're playing that at funerals. Don't get any ideas. (laughs) Playing that at funerals. And never men's funerals. I mean, never women's funerals. That's a man's song. Your grandma will not request that. But your grandfather might. And just so you know, Grandpa, it's going to take 15 minutes. I mean, your body is going to get cold while we stand there waiting. Uh, It's a 15-minute song. Free bird. Something in the heart of every man, we, we, we kind of want to be free birds. And let me tell you, sir, you are some kind of bird, but can we talk about that right now? But because in the scripture, Jesus tells a story that I think really becomes not just a story of one son and one father, but honestly, it's kind of every man's story. It's, it's about a son who decides to leave. Now, the scripture really doesn't tell us why he's leaving. And honestly, the story that Jesus tells is very spare in its details. I don't know why he's leaving. I've heard preachers say that when he says to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. It's like saying, I hope you die. I wish you were dead. And I don't know about all of that. I don't really think the son's thinking about the father much at all. I think he thinks more about himself. I think he's like a lot of men. He just simply has it in his head that his life would be better if he could run away from the life he has. You know what I'm saying? Guys, the thing that I've really come to believe, and it has mostly to do with being a pastor to you guys for all of these years and being a man myself and the son of a father and grandfathers and all of that. Here's here's what I think. Nobody understands, and that is just simply that most men are unhappy most of the time. I fully believe that most men are unhappy most of the time. Now, we learn early on to pretend that everything is okay because that's what men do. Very early, we just simply learn to stuff it down or to ignore it or or to drink or to party or, or to work or whatever it is that we have to do just to pretend that everything is okay. Now, the problem with that is as the years go by, we end up living a kind of pretend life where honestly we feel like nobody in our lives knows us, not our wives, not our children, not our parents, not our friends even. But because we have spent so much time pretending that things are different other than what they are, eventually we we begin to feel very distant and and lonely and, and frustrated in the middle of our own lives. And so it's very natural for us at that point to begin fantasizing about maybe replacing the life we have if if only i could get away if only i could be somewhere else if if maybe i could get away from all of the obligations and expectations and boundaries that, that that now seem to tie me down and and pin me in you know what i'm saying guys because I feel like it's not coincidental that Jesus tells this story about salvation, and I think he's talking to men. We, we, we get this. Because I think there is, a, there is a prodigal man in the heart of every single one of us. So, kind of a desire to run away. Now, most of us don't do it. And I know I'm talking to a Sunday morning crowd of men. Most of you aren't doing it. You're, you, you are dutiful men. You got up this morning. You may have even fixed breakfast for your wife or, or, or put the dog out or, or whatever it is that you, that you do. You're going to go to work tomorrow and you're going to help and, and, and all of that. I understand. But but at the same way, there is still that frustration with some of us and, and, and that desire, that, that, that fantasy about just what, what if I could somehow have a different life? What if I could replace the life I have now with an alternate? Because this is what the prodigal does. He, he, he looks for an alternate life, a way to escape the life that he has because for one reason or another, it, it's, it's not satisfying him. Now, even though a lot of us have this instinct, we have this desire, maybe this fantasy about sort of escaping our lives and, and running away and being a free bird, you gotta understand, sir, that this is not your best instinct. It may be a natural instinct for a lot of us men, but it is not our best instinct. And in some ways, it is the worst instinct you have. That desire to hide. You don't necessarily have to leave home. You can hide in your own man cave. You can hide in front of the television. You can hide in sports. You can hide out in your shop. You can hide in your job. There are lots and lots of ways to be a prodigal without ever leaving home. And most of us have figured that out. But it's not your best instinct. There's an actual website these days called runawayhusbands.com. It's a website for wives who have been abandoned by their husbands and literally there's a syndrome called runaway husband syndrome that you can talk about because it's that common. And honestly, it's sort of, it's the same story over and over and over. These women tell stories of being married to a man who was a really, really good husband for years, the best husband. And he went to work and he provided and he protected and he was a good dad. And then one day he just walks in and says, I'm done. I mean, go to runawayhusband.com if you don't believe me and read the women's own stories. One woman says that she just got up and she went in the kitchen and she found a note. And the note just simply said, I don't love you. I've never loved you. I'm done. That's the note. and, And he was gone. Another woman says she drove her husband to the airport, kissed him goodbye, and he never came back. One woman took her husband to work as she did every morning. They kissed in the car. He got out of the car. Two hours later, he sent her a text message. A text message that said, I'm tired of living a lie. What lie? They had been married 30 years. What was the lie? He loved her every single day. He he never complained. He never said anything about any sort of unsatisfaction or any sort of frustration. It's just one day something turns inside of him, and he says, I'm done, and he runs. Do you understand, sir? This is not your best instinct. The, The prodigal son, he's a kid, but he does the very same thing. Younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. His father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and ran to to, to a distant land. He he ran. What makes a man run? Here's what I think. I, I think that we have this tendency to assume that our unhappiness, remember, I said I believe that most men are unhappy most of the time. I think that our, our tendency is to assume that our unhappiness has more to do with everybody else. That, that, that unhappiness in me is somehow everybody else's fault. So in other words, I've been married 30 years, but if I find myself unhappy, I just decide that if I could, if I could, if I could get away from my wife. I mean, if I'm this unhappy and she's there every day and I'm unhappy every day, it must be her. You understand? I think that's how a lot of men think, that my unhappiness must be related to other people. It must be other people's fault. I mean, I, I could really be something if it weren't for the boss who who keeps me down. He holds me down. It's the same problem you had in high school, sir. When you used to say, "I could be something on the basketball court. I could really be a great shot if somebody would just feed me the ball." You understand? It's always somebody else's fault, isn't it? Man, I could have been something. I could have played football. I could have been great, but it was the coach. It's, Always somebody else. I I could be a I could be a sex machine, people, but except for that gown my wife bought a cracker barrel. It's that cracker barrel gown, flannel gown she wears. Man, I could be something, but it's her. The flannel gown. You understand how that works, guys? It's that, it's that frustration, that unhappiness. I just assume it must have to do with everybody else. It, it must be in my life somewhere. So if I could escape my life, if I could get away from all the people on my back all the time, the, 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 the disappointment. I mean, I can't do anything right at home. Until I walk in, the kids are on me, my wife's on me. I mean, if I could just get away from all the people I'm apparently disappointing, if I could get away from expectations, if I could just get away from the ball and chain, if, if I could just leave somehow and replace this life I've got with another life, maybe I'd be happy. Maybe I'd be satisfied. That's what the prodigal does. So it's this idea that, man, if I, if I could just get away, be a, be a lone wolf. Ooh, you understand? If I could just go be a free bird, baby, free as a bird. If I could just be alone by myself, if people just leave me alone think I'd be all right. I'd be happy. Yeah, that kind of becomes our fantasy. Man, if I could just be by myself. So, so we go fish or we go hunt or we go hide somewhere, but we just look for that place to be alone. Just away from everybody because this is what the son does. Man, if I could just be apart from the father somehow. Just away from a home, away from my, my, my older brother and my, my mama. And Man, if I could just get away from all this. Man, life certainly would be better somewhere else. Kind of like Adam in the garden, you understand how the story begins? It's a man all by himself. He's got the remote control, baby, all day long. There is nobody to come and switch the channel to the view. Nobody to make him watch Ellen in the afternoon. It just won't happen because he's a man in paradise by himself. All of the caffeine-free diet Mountain Dew you can drink. Understand? You can just have it. And animals and and, and sunshine and the beach. Understand? Adam has got it made in paradise all by himself. Except it turns out that's really not the dream. It's not Adam's dream and it's not God's dream. God looks down and sees a man all by himself and what does God say? Something not good about that. It is not good for a man to be alone. It is not good. you so understand what I'm saying, brother? That this, this desire, this instinct that you have to sort of be free from other people, to sort of escape responsibility, to, 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 to be liberated from the ball and chain, it, it's not what you think. That, it really wouldn't be replacing your life with something better. If you pay attention to the story Jesus tells, notice the, the, the big word that sort of hovers over everything that happens after he leaves his father. What's that word? Waste. It's waste. In other words, he's wasting his resources. He's wasting the money. He's, he's wasting his life. The word is waste. And understand, it takes him a while to understand that. It takes him a while to get to that point. There must have been some time in there when he really felt like a rock star on the red carpet. There must have been some time there when he really, really enjoyed just driving around in in a messy truck and nobody to say, why don't you clean up this jalopy? Do you understand? There's just something great about being out there with nobody to complain and nobody to ask anything of you and and nobody to criticize and nobody to disappoint. Just a prodigal son out there living his dream. For a while, it must have felt wonderful. For a while, it must have been delicious, but it didn't end up that way. Now, notice how it goes. It's not all his fault. Let's recognize that. Now, he did waste his money. He goes through it like poop through a goose. I mean, he just spends it. It's just gone. His no ability to manage his own resources, none of that. Just waste. But then there's a famine. You see, it's not just that he wasted. On top of that is a famine. It's the circumstances too. But the bottom line is, it just all goes bad. It just all falls apart. And that's the, that's the story's turning point. If, if you watch a ball game... Lots of times when you focus on the game, you, you, you'll identify a moment in that game that, that they call the game changer. The, the game changing moment. It, it, it is just the fact that up to that moment, everything was going in one direction. One team was dominating or the scoreboard just continued to move. The momentum was moving in one direction. But there's a, a moment, a game changing moment, a play or a call when suddenly everything shifts and and what was going to be one outcome suddenly becomes a different outcome. It's it's called the game changer. And and the prodigal son has this game changing kind of moment when verse 17, he finally comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. Could he have come to his senses without having to eat pig slop? Could he have possibly come to his senses without having put himself and everybody who loved him through this? Is it possible for him to have come to his senses without having to be conked upside the head? I don't know, but we can always wish. We can always wish that we wouldn't have to find out how deep the bottom goes before we start to move our lives in a different direction. But for the prodigal son, it it takes this. When I've read this story to myself, I've sometimes wondered, why does the father let him go? The father has to know better. The father's wise. Why does the father stand there and, and, and do this? Why does he just fork the money over? Why does he give the son the rope to hang himself? Why does he do this? I, I don't know, but, but something in me says that, that that father knew that he had to let the son go so that he could come back home, understand? Because there's more than one way to be a prodigal. You can be far, far away from the father and never leave the house. Maybe he lets him go so that he can come back home, or or maybe, just maybe he's that guy that has to be out there with nobody else so that there's nobody else to blame. Maybe he's the guy that has to be out there With nobody around, nobody asking anything of him anymore, nobody to complain, nobody to blame. So then he suddenly got to recognize that the unhappiness he's always felt was not his daddy's fault. That the unhappiness that he's always felt had nothing to do with the people in his life, it had nothing to do with the school or his old job, it had nothing to do with anything. That unhappiness is inside of him and it travels with him. Are you with me, sir? the unhappiness that is likely in you is going to travel with you. So you imagine maybe if you could just trade in your wife or trade in your life or, or move to a new town or maybe transfer to another church, if you could just somehow change your location, you change your heart. But it doesn't work that way. The unhappiness goes with you because it's in you, and it comes out of You because it's in you. Your wife is not bringing that out of you, sir. It comes out of you because it's in you. Your kids aren't bringing that out of you. You're not the guy that you are at work because everybody just gets on your nerves. No, you are the man that you are at work because that's the man you are. It comes out of you because it's in you. And the unhappiness that you feel, sir, it's in you. It's not about your wife, it's not about your kids. It's not about the house you live in. It's not about your job. It's not about your truck. It's in you. It's in you. As I said, Leonard Skinner is a very unreliable theologian. He says, I'm as free as a bird, and this bird will never change. I don't really know what kind of bird you are, but I promise you change is possible. Please don't tell me I can't be another kind of man. Please don't tell me I can't change. Don't tell me I can't have a different kind of life. You can change, sir. You need a game changing kind of moment like the prodigal son. In the language of Scripture, Jesus says that this kid comes to himself, that he comes to himself, and and this is what we're waiting for with you. you got to come to yourself to sort of come to your senses. Maybe life needs to smack you upside the head a couple more times, but it doesn't have to come to that. You you could just wise up. You you could just sort of grow up already. You shouldn't have to find out how bad this can turn before you begin to recognize that, that, that change is possible. Since says he came to his senses and he began to talk to himself. And he said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home to my father. Going home to my father. So understand, it's not so much about the home. It's not hometown. It's not getting back to his old buddies. It's nothing like that. It's the father. And notice what else he's craving now. I want to go and I want to say, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a servant. Take me on as as like one of your slaves. Just make me one of your slaves. Isn't that amazing? This is the guy who was saying, I'm going to be free as a bird, baby, and this bird will never change. I, I want freedom. This is the man who's thinking, if I could just somehow have fewer expectations and fewer obligations and not so many lines to try to walk inside. And now he's saying, oh, if I could just go back to the Father and be his slave. Had an interesting kind of turn. I mean, it's a game-changing moment, but notice how radically his heart is different. Crying out for it anymore. It's not freedom at all. It's it's servitude. I just want to serve somebody. I want to serve my Father. I, I mean, sir, maybe here's the real truth, that it's not more freedom you need. Maybe it's not freedom that you need. Maybe it's not that you just need everybody to get off your back so that you can live your own life. Maybe, just maybe what you need to do is to learn to get over yourself and start living your life for others. Maybe it's not all about you. And maybe the more that you try to please yourself, the less pleasure you will ever find. Just maybe your life is about pleasing others. Maybe you need to find something bigger to live for than just yourself. Maybe being a free bird isn't all it's cracked up to be. Maybe you need to learn how to be a son of the Father. He thought that uh, happiness would be found apart from the Father, but after spending some time away from the Father, he realizes, i got to go home i got to go back to the Father. It's a spiritual story. You understand this, right? So so the Father that we're talking about is God the Father. Your real problem, all of us, our real problem is a spiritual problem. It's not a relationship problem. It's not a marriage problem. It's a spiritual problem, sir, which means you need to turn to the Lord. You need to turn to the Father. Now, what's going to happen when you do? Well, what's going to happen? You're imagining that if you come back to God, that God's going to lecture you like your old man used to lecture you. You're imagining that when you come back to God first, you're going to have to hear all about it. He's going to tell you how, you how you've been a miserable failure all your life, and you've messed up and never followed him, and you're going to have to hear it, and for a while he's going to make your life difficult. No, no, no. If that's how you think of the Father, you don't know the Father. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion. Okay, we're talking about the father. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Did you understand? What you're going to find from God, your father, is is forgiveness and mercy. Your whole life, you've never known that. You remember the game we used to play with with guys on the school bus? It was a game called Mercy. Remember playing Mercy, or is this just... Redneck kids in Woodburn. Did you ever play Mercy, JT? Play me Mercy. Here we go. Ready? All right. Y'all know how Mercy works? Yeah. It's all about Mercy, you know. Ready? Go. Oh, I hate this. (laughs) Mercy. Yeah. (laughs) You got it? Yeah. That's how men do Mercy. Right there. Yeah. Make me beg for Mercy. Mercy. Twist my arm out of the socket. Thank you, brother. Twist my arm out of the socket <laughs> till I cry out for mercy. Yeah. That's how men do mercy, right there. It's not the way God does mercy. That's not how your father does mercy. While that young man was still a long way off, what does the Scripture say? saw him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran. And I love the King James that says, he fell on his neck. Ah, It sounds horrible, but it's wonderful. He fell on his neck and kissed him, embraced him. You understand? You need that love and mercy from the Father. You've probably never gotten it from from, from your earthly father, and you'll never get it from anybody else on earth. The the, the love and mercy you need comes from your father. And until you find it in him, you're not going to find it anywhere else. That, that love that you crave, it, it's not in internet pornography. It's not in your girlfriend that, that you meet after work. That love that you crave is found nowhere else but in God the Father. And until you find yourself loved by him, you'll never know what love is. You need his love and mercy. Then what's he do next? He says, bring a robe, b- bring the ring, put sandals on his feet. You understand? Immediately, he wants the ring. It's, it's the ring of sonship. It's the family crest. It lets everybody know that this is no ordinary young man. This is my son. Put the ring of sonship on his hand. And put shoes on his feet. Now remember, this boy had a whole speech planned. And what was his speech? It was a good one. It all ended up with I'm just I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just make me like a a, a slave. But he never even gets to give his speech. Father just takes over. You understand? And that's what you need. You just need to shut up and let God take over. Let him do the talking. You just do the listening because what he says is so much better than what you were going to say. Put the ring of sonship on his hand. Put a robe on his back and put sandals on his feet. Understand, servants went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. Put shoes on his feet. You understand, it's it's belonging. It's not a man out there on his own. He's a man that's a part of something, a part of a family, a man that's a part of his father's heart. Put the robe on him, put the ring on him, put the shoes on his feet. This is no ordinary man. He's my son. understand that this is what God the Father wants to offer you. It's it's approval. You spend your whole life trying to prove something, trying to prove you're a man. you try to prove you're a man by somehow intimidating women or or intimidating everybody else, but you never seem satisfied that you're a man. You're trying to prove it at work or prove it at church by, by making people do what you want to do. I mean, you just try to prove it somehow and And all the approval that you need comes from the Lord. But a ring on his hand, robe on his back, shoes on his feet. This is my son. Brother, you don't have anything to prove. You can stop working so hard at being a man and just let God make you a son. It's all you were created to be. And then don't miss it. Then the party began. Party began. I said that most men are unhappy most of the time, and and, and that is the honest truth. But but you know what else? Men love to have a good time. We just love to have a good time. We're not very good at it. And I know how it is. Some of us in our families, we suck the fun out of everything. But that's not our heart. We really long somehow to have joy and gladness and, and to just enjoy our own lives. When the son comes home to the father, there's A great party, a great feast, there's there's joy. It's it's the joy of the Father. This is what you need to know, man. You were not created for this kind of unhappiness. You are not created for this kind of frustration. Not created to live your whole life distant from everybody else, lonesome and frustrated. You may think that's what a man's supposed to be, but that's not what a man. You can have real joy. You can have genuine approval with nothing left to prove, just simply to live your life with freedom and joy. But it's not going to be found the way you think it's found. It's never going to be found apart from the Father. It's never going to be found apart from responsibility and apart from hard work. You don't run away from those things. You run into those things. And you will find everything... That your heart craves. Sir, you need a game-changing moment in your life. It's the moment when you come to yourself and recognize that you're away from home. That there's a Father in heaven who loves you, who's waiting for you. and You need to come back to him. Listen to me, sir. Nothing is ever going to go the way you want it to go. Until you know how to come back to the Father. Come back to him. He's waiting for you. Pray with me. God, there are any number of prodigal men in the sound of my voice. They know that unhappiness, and they know what it is to live a pretend life. They figure nobody else knows, but, Lord, you know. You understand a man's heart, and you know how to change a man's heart. I pray for all those men, Lord, who've run away. I pray that you'll bring them back home to you first and then to their families. Lord, I pray for all those young men who haven't found their way yet and don't know what it is to be the son of a father. Lord, I pray that you will just embrace them and give them your approval. Help them to know your joy. God, as a church, we're still waiting for men to step up and men to find joy and freedom. Just pray, Lord, that today would be the game-changing day for men in our church, for the men in our families. Just ask you, Lord, to let this be the moment of decision, the moment of truth. Where we finally realize that everything we want, everything we crave, the freedom we desire is found in serving you, surrendering to you, letting you be Lord of our lives. God, we've been running things for a long time as men, and uh, we've made a mess of it. We're trying now to figure out how to clean it up, Lord. Help us to understand that if we could do it by ourselves, we would have already done it. We need you, Lord. We need your help, we need your power. We need your approval. So God the Father, step out on the edge of heaven with arms outstretched. Because we're coming home to you. Give us grace, O Lord. Come home to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.